Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to ISRA's podcast. Today we will be discussing a recent report on moon sighting as it pertains to Muslims in Australia. My name is Orhan Kaaba and I'm joined here today by Assessor Professor Mehmet Ozal, founder of ISRA and head of school at the Centre of Islamic Studies and Civilization, Charles Sturt University. Welcome Professor Ozal. Thank you. I'm also joined by Ustad Ikramullah Ahmed, author, teacher, imam, and PhD candidate on the topic of moon sighting. Welcome, Sheikh. Thank you. Well, as we know, nothing divides the Muslim community quite as much as when to begin the month of Ramadan and when to celebrate Eid. Muslims may well accept and in fact celebrate the differences of opinions in the different schools of jurisprudence as they pertain to fiqh. But many tend not to be so accommodating when it comes to how to determine the beginning of Ramadan and Eid. To gain an insight into the sentiment and practice within the Australian Muslim community, Ustad Sheikh Ikramullah conducted a survey of over 5,500 Australian Muslims and compiled the results in The Practice of Australian Muslims on Moon Sighting, Beginning of Ramadan and Eid uh, report as part of his PhD report. I've been privileged with an advanced copy of the report prior to its public release and have gone over it and we'll be discussing the findings with our two esteemed guests here today. So if I could begin by asking Professor Ozab, what was the purpose of this report and what do you hope to gain from it? Well, uh, we are, this idea of researching the Muslim community about when they start, what is their practice in Ramadan and Eid, came up in our discussions with uh, Shaykh Ikram as part of his PhD research I am one of the supervisors of the research, um, and uh, his research is about uh, moon sighting, different methods of uh, establishing the Ramadan and lunar months and Eid. Uh, we thought that it would be good for two reasons to ask the Muslim community. Um, uh, the first one is, what is the actual practice? You know, we know that uh, people follow moon sighting calculation methods or or different authorities in Australia, but we really did not know uh, what was the percentages, who follows what. So what better to establish that by asking people. So we thought that would be fantastic. The second reason is that this matter uh, is not just a matter of ijtihad. You know, um, uh, when it comes to communal practice of religion, uh, there is a sociological element, sociological context or families. Um, conventions and cultural elements as well come into play. Uh, maybe it shouldn't. You know, uh, we, we like to think that religious practices are purely uh, a matter of ijtihad uh, and uh, all abstract theoretical things. But really, it, when it comes down to um, also... Uh, society sometimes influences it, culture, uh, or different factors and forces come into play. And and we see this aspect of religion, particularly in Ramadan and Eid, because it involves the entire community families. So it would it came as a really good idea as part of Sheikh Ikram's uh, PhD that we should do a, a survey of the community. So basically like a diagnosis of the situation uh, yeah. of the health stands in Australia. Excellent. Okay. And uh, if, I, if I've got to ask you, Sheikh, um, why did you choose this topic um, for your PhD research? Yeah, it was, it was a tough one because, you know, obviously with a PhD, there's quite a few requirements in terms of what you can choose and what you can't. 
and I had a few ideas, um, but moon sighting was probably top of the list. Uh, and the prime reason for that was, you know, even as a child growing up here in Australia in the early 90s, I was just always used to the issues revolving moon sighting. Um, and obviously, you know, growing up with my father and, um, you know, the subcontinent community around us, we saw how much it impacted the families. And it was a topic which I became well accustomed to as well. But because there was so much debate around it, and I'm thinking, all right, there's, there's absolutely no solution. Or is there a solution? And, you know, the ulama and the scholars, they've gotten together year after year, but haven't been able to found, find one. So I thought, let's conduct a research on it simply because, you know, there's there have been multiple books written on moon sighting, but there hasn't been, you know, an actual research um, highlighting where this ikhtilaf actually comes from. You know, we, we know that there are differences of opinions, but where do these differences come from? So then I presented that to Dr. Mehmet, um, and we went through, you know, some of the topics, and we thought, I think moon sighting would be a good one. Initially, it was a struggle in the beginning, but alhamdulillah, you know, even after this survey, um, I think it's it's looking good. MashaAllah, jazakallah. A nice contentious issue, hey, for your PhD research. It's not easy, but... Yeah. And getting through it. Okay, so as the report notes, Ramadan 23 saw an exceptional and rare situation as some of the larger Muslim organizations that would usually agree on the new moon gave different dates for the Eid celebration. And as the report notes, those who follow local and regional sightings, along with Annie, who, ca- who do it based on calculation locally, celebrated Eid on Saturday, April 22. African Lekemba Mosque, who also used calculation, but a different calculation, announced Eid would fall on Friday, April 21. And I believe this coincided with this, with Saudi as well this year. So this is highly unusual as Anik and Afik, who both use the calculation method and therefore usually agree, uh, came up with different dates for Eid this year, which caused the chaos yeah. that caused this year, as we know. Um, so before we get into the questions in the report, I thought maybe it would be a good idea, if Sheikh, if you can go through these different uh, methods and give us a brief description on them. So we have like the physical moon sighting, and there's subcategories there as well. Then we have calculation, astronomical calculation. And again, there's different subcategories to that as well. And then following the particular um, Muslim country, which I guess is pretty self-explanatory, but if you could expand on on those different methods, please. Yeah, so based on my research so far and what I've found and the practice of Muslims in Australia, there are three main methods. So the first one is sighting. The second one is calculation, and the third one is to follow a specific country. Now, when it comes to sighting, there are three main methods in that as well. So one is local, the second one is regional, and the third one is global. Um, as for astronomical calculations, I think predominantly over the past you know, few years, it's always been the same aspect. But just this year, with the break in calculation, um, it's becoming more and more apparent the different methodologies in calculation, which have existed, but because two Islamic authorities have used two different calculation uh, methodologies, they're becoming more apparent now. So one of them is astronomical calculation based on the birth of the moon. Um, and that was followed by Anik for quite some time, I believe Afik as well. Um, another one was the astronomical calculations uh, based on the birth of the moon regionally, locally, and now globally has also come in. And then you've just got astronomical calculations based on the Imkan Ru'ya, on the uh, possibility of sighting the moon. Right. And that also, you know, transfers to local, regional or global. Right. So technically there's more methodologies for astronomical calculation now 
than there have been ever for um, siding, which has always been local, regional, or global. Um, and you know, who knows? I mean, in a few years there might be more and more methodologies. Delays, yeah. Um, yeah, but but and then the third one, which is following a country, is pretty straightforward. Yeah. You know, irrespective of what they do, what they follow, what methodology they follow, we simply choose the country and we stick with it. Um, so, personally, myself, when I thought of this question, like the calculation method, I didn't like. I did a bit of research for this podcast today. Um, I just, I just assumed that calculation method was a recent sort of phenomena, but it actually goes back quite a way, doesn't it? Uh, uh, Professor, do you want to comment on that? It's not the the original calculation method. There's maybe goes back within a couple of centuries of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Would you agree that? How, but it's how been in historically, it's been mainly uh, moon sighting, sighting of the moon. Um, but uh, it's been always local in the past because of lack of communication you know, phone, internet, or that wasn't there at the time. So what usually happened was people went out and they wanted to sight the moon or they did not sight it. So they determined uh, the the length of the month according to their local place as to what they saw or what they did not see. And then they would announce this with a cannonball. Uh, Ottomans did that, you know, they, they fired the cannonball if it was... Uh, you know, the Eid the next day and things like that, or the Ramadan. Uh, but the calculation aspect um, uh, as a, is a recent phenomena, or in, or only in modern times. Okay, excellent. All right, so um, just quickly on the methodology of the report there, I want to talk briefly now on the response to the actual survey. There was over 5,500 respondents across a variety of backgrounds uh, and communities Australia-wide. So this is a good response, right? I mean, when you look at a political poll, they're polling their sample size of no more than, say, a 1,000, right? And then they're drawing conclusions from that, extrapolate over the, the uh, entire voting population. So uh, I know it's not an apples for apples comparison, obviously, right? But, uh, Sheikh, you must be happy with the response and that it could be a fair indicator of where the community sentiment is at in regards to this topic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember when we were planning the survey, we had a meeting with Dr. Hakan, Dr. Suleiman, Dr. Mehmet, and we said, all right, let's target a thousand you know it will be a good enough size for us to sample um, and then we broke down different states and we thought okay let's try to get about 300 from New South Wales a couple of hundred from here and there and a thousand would be a good start um, and as soon as the survey went out and because of the timing of when the survey went out it was just a week after Ramadan and a week after you know all the debate um, surrounding when um, Eid would be uh, I think that attracted a lot more attention towards the survey um, but yeah, five five and a half thousand was something which I, I don't think we expected. It's very top. It's, it's exceptional, actually, for for Great. any academic researcher. I just want to make say that this uh, survey wasn't done because of the dispute this yeah. year. Because if people have that in the back of their <laughs> minds, you know, we really began discussing late last year, and then early this year we we kind of decided we will go this way. And Ramadan was approaching, obviously. Mm-hmm. To do it around Ramadan made sense, yeah. and then the, the that particular dispute that you mentioned earlier came up later on. Yeah, well, it's a constant topic around. Yeah, yeah. but it was a really good timely research yeah, to do. Yeah, I also want to note that there about the there was an open-ended question at the end of the survey for participants to give their suggestions on what change they would like to see in regards to establishing the beginning and uh, of Ramadan and and when to celebrate Eid, and this solic- this solicited two thousand seven hundred responses, and it was a optional question so if you're like me and you're doing a poll 
you skip the optional question, <laughs> you'll get there in the poll, you don't really want to yeah. go through with it. So, I mean, the fact that we had 2,007 responses to an optional question, uh, I think... That's true. It's, it's fair. Yeah. It's a, it's a clear. It's clear. Um, it's clear that the community is engaged with this topic. Would you Would you like to comment on that? Fizzle? Well, that's a huge response. Yeah. And uh, in this report, uh, we only have a sample of those responses uh, because we just don't have enough time uh, to analyze all of that. Uh, Sheikh Ikram will do. Uh, will analyze it in detail. All of that, and it will be in the final uh, publication or the thesis. Um, but uh, uh, we actually did not expect that much at all. So that part of the um, data collection, uh, we thought it would be nice to us, but uh, I, I think that's a very surprising. It just shows how passionate people are, but not only passionate, but this is really impacting everyone in yeah. the community. Uh, so our institutions, organizations need to know that the decisions that they make impact on people's lives yes and how they practice religion yeah excellent okay all right so let's get into the uh the questions and the results from the from the survey uh the first question i want to delve into is what is your major ethnic heritage so this was a bit of a curious one for me because the categories in the ethnic heritage questions include lebanese turkish arab middle east subcontinent southeast asia african anglo-celtic and others of these, the bulk of respondents were from the subcontinent at over 35%, and Southeast Asia around 27%. And this came across as a surprise to me, especially when you consider the Lebanese, Turkish, Arab, Middle East respondents collectively total only about 17%. So I tried looking up the census on the nationalities, uh, in, uh, Muslim nationalities in Australia, right, by, by ethnicities. But I didn't show the top five, so I couldn't get a good gauge on. But it looks to me like the respondents does not reflect proportionally in numbers the ethnic heritage of the Australian Muslim population. So, Sheikh, could you, um, if, I, if I, is this a good assumption from me, or, or is there something else going yeah, on here? Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair assumption. But there are a couple of factors that played a role as to why there was such a large number of responses from the subcontinent. Um, and one of the leading factors was the channel through which the survey spread. Um, so obviously we promoted it through every avenue we had, you know, we prepared emails, we sent it to pretty much every leading Islamic organization in every state. So from Anik and Afik to an organization in Perth that was leading, you know, um, a Muslim community, but unfortunately didn't get any response from any of them. There were a couple, um, which goes to show that the the survey the survey although it was intended for every you know different ethnic background in Australia, um, people from different cultural and religious beliefs, it targeted a specific audience. Um, and the reason for that was when it spread, um, it spread through WhatsApp. And within WhatsApp, if if you look at WhatsApp within a community, I don't know how it is with the other um, cultures, but with our subcontinent, if I was to forward a message right now, and it you know had some uh, valuable insight. I reckon within minutes it would reach hundreds of people in Australia. Um, in fact, within an hour of the survey, I received a call from someone overseas in Pakistan, and I'm thinking, wait, how did it get there? What are you doing with the survey? Who, who sent it to you? And he's like, can I do it? I was like, no, it's it, it's not relevant to you. In fact, you can start, but then you'll get stuck in question two or question three, what state you're from. And you know, so obviously that means you know, uh, it means it won't really. It won't really count. Yeah. So it will be, it will be disregarded. 
Um, so that is the avenue or the channel why it targeted, you know, such a large audience from the subcontinent. Um, but not only that, I, I feel that growing up within the subcontinent community, from what I've seen, the, the issue is much bigger with us. Um, there's not just debates and arguments, I've seen fights within families when it comes to the issue of um, determining the beginning or, or the ending of Ramadan. Um, and, it, and it's a big issue, not just for the subcontinent, obviously for others, but it was slightly surprising that we didn't get enough from yeah, the Arab or Turkish community. But the reason, if you ask why there was you know, a higher percentage from the subcontinent, um, it was purely because of the way it was spread through WhatsApp, right? And then, you know, everyone spreads it through the, to their families and friends. And if it's just one ethnicity, it's just going to roll on and on and on. And I've received a call from a friend of mine. He's like, you know, it's just revolving around all of our families and friends. So obviously it kind of went there. Um, little but but the, still, uh, regardless of that, we had enough, uh, yeah. enough you know, participation from all co communities, uh, like close to a thousand mm. from the uh, Arab Lebanese community. Uh, that, that's in that's itself is very significant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's why in the report we have separate, uh, especially like how people start which authorities they follow, we have separate uh, results for each sub-communities. So, uh, I mean, there are differences there, but we can discuss that as well. Um, but uh, uh, like 5,000, when you compare to the, the, the whole scale of the whole thing, the, the, numbers are, uh, the numbers are a little bit skewed. But in the final thesis, uh, it will be extrapolated to the Australian population uh, so that we can... Only for the overall results, but yeah. the uh, still for the results for the sub communities as presented in this report are still valid. Valid, this one, yes. Uh, and then overall, some of the general assessments are still uh, valid. Okay, great. Thanks for that. So the next question was, what Islamic legal school do you follow? And um, I don't think there's too much of a surprise here. It tends to follow the ethnic heritage response. So as most respondents were from the subcontinent. They're mostly followers of the Hanifa Metheb. So the Hanifa Metheb shows up um, more than the other, other Medhebs here. We've got almost 60% were Hanifi um, Medhebs. Shafi is around 10%. The Malikis and Hanbalis were both under 5%, and there was other subcategories yeah. less than that. Uh, that's that's to be expected. Would you, would you agree with that? Is there anything more we can add to that? Professor? No, that, that uh, results speak for themselves. Okay, the next question is, how do you know or establish the beginning of Ramadan? So the question, the result of this question, I found it quite telling. As the survey notes, the three major sources of determining when to begin Ramadan in the report was Moon Sighting Australia at 52%, local mosque 21%, local mosque or organization at 21%, uh, Anik and the Mufti at 15%. So for me, the main takeaway here is that you look at the moon sighting numbers, it's around 52% in that category alone, as a standalone category. But this, I think this will be increased more likely as the categories of, say, I followed my family, friends, local mosque, country of origin, all these other ones, they would also have some portion of moon sighters amongst them as well, right? So if you were to factor some of those in there, it would, I think it, would, it could possibly push that number up to around 55, say 60%, right? And, and when, when you think about the issue of um, when to start Ramadan or celebrate Eid, okay, the, 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 the debate or the argument or the question is already always a binary one. Do we follow? Do we have to cite the cite the moon as per as per the hadith of the Prophet or 
or can we use astronomical calculations because we've advanced enough, we know for sure that the moon is going to be born on a certain day. So it's it's this binary question here, right? But so when you look at these numbers of the moon sighting, say 52, possibly I'm saying 55 to 60% when we factor the other others into it, um, it looks to me like the numbers are in, the results are in, the community prefers prefers the actual sighting of the moon as as per the as per the hadith of the prophet well, can, uh, can i just say these results inst like instead of worrying about the percentages it just shows that there are three main authorities or sources of establishing uh, ramadan and eid and these are moon sighting actual sighting and reporting that through websites uh, and and online mediums the mosque and organized Islamic mosques and organizations is the second source, and ANIC by being the Australian National Imams Council and making an announcement. Uh, these are the three main sources that how people find out the start of the lunar months and follow one or the other. Yeah. Did you would you like to comment on that, Sheikh? No, no, that's absolutely right. Yeah, I agree okay. with Dr. Mahmoud. Um, another interesting stat to come out of this question, I think, was the follow country of origin. And that was only about 1%, which is about 56 respondents, right? And now, okay, this number would also, you could also revise the number up because I'm sure like the local mosques, they follow like, I know the Turkish ones, they follow the, the country of origin well, right? So that number, that number of 1% would, would also um, factor Go up as well. You could revise that one up as well when you count some of those. Uh, but I think it's still low, but I think it's encouragingly low. And I say encouragingly low because for me personally, if we want to get to a place of unity, and if that's what the goal is, we need to let go of following our mm. home country dictates and unite around a local source. And um, maybe the results of this question is bearing that out. Would you? Could you comment on that, Sheikh? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, if the ideal ideology behind all of this, which obviously everyone wants anyway, is unity, then all of the I want to call them the minor sects, but the opinions which aren't followed vastly by the Australian Muslims, they will evidently be low. Um, and if you go back out maybe 15, 20 years ago, that number would have been much more yeah. people following their own country. But because of the presence of ANIC, the presence of uh, moon sighting and the bigger, well-established authorities and organizations, um, people are slowly starting to fall under one of the two. Um, and as long as we can get there, you either follow citing, because now the issue is why it's actually getting worse, in my opinion, is because calculation is no longer just calculation. There's about six different methods. Right. Um, and I think the following question shows that, that which type of calculation did you follow? And people have chosen different ones. When it comes to citing, there's three different types of sightings. And until we don't come to a common ground where, okay, do you just follow calculation or citing the moon? then it's going to be a continuous issue. But the fact that there is a minimal amount of people that followed the country of origin is is possibly a positive yeah. out of this. Um, so, Do you see a positive in that as well? <clears throat> yeah, I think Australian Muslims are increasingly considering themselves as independent of the country that they migrate from, um, although that changes from community to community. Uh, I just want to perhaps summarize the differences between the four main ethnic breakdown of the community. Uh, it's clear from the report that a majority, over 50% of the subcontinent Asian Muslims follow moon sighting. So moon sighting is quite I common. It's out in the report. Well. Uh, exactly. Uh, African community, it's 48.4% uh, follow moon sighting. That's very significant. 
32.8% follow the mosque and 11.7% uh, follow ANIC. So that's the African communities. Um, then comes the Lebanese and Turkish community. <clears throat> Lebanese community was split evenly in between, like 28% following mosque, 28% following ANIC. Right. Uh, that's very so. It just shows that this recent dispute really caused a deep uh, split within the Lebanese community, but also within the Lebanese community and Arab community, twenty three point nine percent follow moon sighting. So there's a significant portion of that community follow moon sighting. Uh, with the Turkish community, uh, it's the the only one that follows the country of, of origin the most, sixteen percent. And they're mainly calculation methods. Uh, yeah, they just follow uh, whatever Turkey does. Uh, and uh, and also 28.5% uh, follow the Turkish mosques. And Turkish mosques generally follow Diyanet and Turkey. So like, uh, around 45% of the Turkish community follow uh, Turkey, let's say, yep. the country of origin. But still not not hundred percent. So this was a surprising result for me, mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, still a, a sizable portion of the Turkish community, like eighteen point eight percent, follow moon sighting and fourteen point six percent follow ANIC. I think there is definitely a shift towards uh, local considerations, yep. local institutions, authorities, and um, and so on. I think maybe at this point, if I may, into uh, just give a, make a general statement. Mm -hmm. uh, this whole establishing of Ramadan, establishing of Eid, uh, is is evolving over time. It has evolved over time in our community. Like when when Muslims first migrated to Australia, it was always country of origin, because they rang up home and said, "When is Eid?" Uh, and so on. They followed uh, their country of origin, and then in 1990s early 2000s when especially when Muslims started to speak more English and interact between different ethnicities people realized hey why are you starting on a different day oh well because we've we the moon sighting or calculation or this method became prominent as a second phase of, uh, of that evolution so people focused on uh, methodology of establishing uh, the the dates but now uh, we, what we're seeing is that another evolution is, which is authority. Like, who has the authority to decide and uh, the start of Ramadan and uh, and Eid? Uh, and uh, I think this is where we don't have a unity here at the, at this point in time. Um, but it just highlights, especially the, the dispute between various institutions or when they announce it at different dates. Uh, it just showed a little bit of a authority. Um, uh, it's always wanting to establish their authority uh, or presence in this space was felt a little bit. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, all right. So let's move on. The next question, um, who did you follow in establishing the day of Eid? Now, these numbers almost exactly reflected mm -hmm. the previous question about the start of Ramadan. And there's no surprises there. If you're going to follow one method for Ramadan, you're going to do the same for Eid there. So... I'm not sure if anyone wants to comment on that. It's pretty, pretty expected and pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, we we wanted to ask that whether it was different because you know developments happened during the month, uh, and uh, then there was no negligible, there was no significant difference. Yeah. Question eight was 
I am confident in the accuracy of the source I follow to begin Ramadan and Eid. So this was, uh, so if you look at these results, the fact that 83.1% of respondents either strongly agreed or agreed, if you combine those two categories together, 83.1% strongly agreed or agreed to the question, I am confident in the accuracy of the source I follow to begin Ramadan and Eid. Now, at first glance, it looks good. It's a high number. Um, people are sure of themselves and confident they are doing the right thing. But if we play devil's advocate, it could be, and most likely is that those 83% of people are confident in different methods, right? They're all confident in the same method. So the fact that the overwhelming majority of Australian Muslims are staunch in their views could be seen as, in, as an impediment to unifying, again, if that is the goal. Meaning, if we are so divided over this issue, and if we believe it is better to unite over it, then clearly some or a lot of people are going to have to have a change of method. And I'm not saying what the correct opinion is, um, but some are going to have to agree to another method of how to determine the meaning of Ramadan and Eid. And based on these results of this question, it looks like many people wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be open to open to that. Uh, who wants to take that take that comment? My heart. Check it. Check it. Yeah, look, um, and that's one of the first thoughts which I had initially um, was that there's no budging. You know, people aren't going to budge. Uh, it's good in a way as well um, because people affirming their belief. Cause I don't think the objective is unity because that hasn't happened for the last 20 odd years. Um, and you'll see the second last question pretty much um, backs what I'm saying as well, the, the responses of people. Yeah. Um, but it's more about accepting the differences and if there are 80% that are affirming what they believe, then the same percentage of the people should accept that, you know, look, this is an opinion that we're following. This is another opinion others are following and live with it and move forward with it. Be positive with it and right. say, look, you know, this is good. There's, there's differences. There's dis differences of opinion in everything. You go to the mosque and pray, you won't see three people praying exactly in the same way. Yep. Some people put their hands on their chest, some below the navel, some on the navel. Some would, you know, raise their hand. No one argues with that. No one looks right and left and say, hey, look, we, we're standing together. We should at least pray together. No one says that. Um, I'm not saying that the same um, examples, obviously, <laughs> one has got to do with the um, beginning of Ramadan and Salah. But I remember growing up uh, in, the, in the late 90s and 2000s, this was an issue in the mosque. People used to fight over it. Mm. You know, anyone that puts their foot next to another one, they'll be like, you know, move your foot. I've seen people stamping <laughs> in each other's foot in Salah. But people don't do that now. Why? Because they have accepted the fact that these are all legitimate um, differences in opinion among scholars and they've become accustomed to it. They lived with it. There's much more, you know, there, there's so many different people coming into different masajid. Yes. Before, if it was a mosque, which was like a Pakistani mosque, you won't see anyone yeah, other than same that. Everyone yeah, yeah, all practice, right? We're all just right. nice and easy. But now, alhamdulillah, you look at it, you've got people from different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, it's a mosque. No one says anything now. That's right. Um, and, and the whole idea is, you know, inshallah, there will come a time where people would, obviously unity is number one, right? But if we look at it from the perspective of what's happened historically in Australia, it's very difficult to reach that level. But what we can do right now, what's under our control is that we can live together with unity in the sense that we accept the differences. And that 80% shows that that is achievable. If I'm firm in what I believe, you're firm in what I believe. How are we going to unite? We're not going to unite anyway. So let's just accept that you're following that. I'm following this. Be friends and move on. Okay. So 83.1% strongly agree, agree, are staunch in their in their views. Um, 
does this need to change? I, think, uh, is it okay? uh, I don't look at it as uh, black and white, uh, that, that figure. Because the, the question was about how confident are you? Are you confident? So it's, I don't think it means they were staunch. I think there's a bit of a difference. So if you're not confident about what you practice, you're not going to practice mm. that, will you? So I, I think it just reflects uh, that we just wanted to measure uh, how people are fluent in the you know senior practices here. Still, 17% are not confident. I think that that's mm. more significant. I was expecting over 90%. So it just means that 17% means 170,000 Muslims in Australia. Um, if we read this in conjunction with the next question, which was, uh, in, in the last five years, did you change your methodology of calculating? And 20.8% said yes. yes. So it just shows, that's a, that's a short time, five years. So 20%, like 200,000, if we generalize, 200,000 Muslims in Australia have changed their views in the last yeah, that's five the years. That's I think these are, are, are still shifting, in my opinion. Obviously, people are confident now, but some are, some are not. People are shifting. So the, the, we will, if we repeat this survey five years later, I think we're going to get different results. Yeah, so that, let's look at that next question. So within the last five years, have you ever followed a different method of determining the beginning of Ramadan and Eid? So as you mentioned, there was a 2080 split. 20% um, uh, said yes. Groups who have followed a different method, and the majority who have not. So, is this is this a positive uh, result, or a, how do you look at this one? Took the hat off the. I think I respond. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to add into that? Or? No, no. I think it's the same. Yeah. Okay. So, question eleven and twelve sort of like go go together. In the last three years, have the members of your family started Ramadan or Eid on different days? And and it's question twelve. How did this affect your family relationship? So, question eleven. Seventy percent said no, they haven't, and 31% said yes. And that seems a bit high to me, right? Um, and then how did this affect your family relationships? So I guess this result shows the effects that disunity can have on this matter, right? So, I mean, it is meant to be a joyous family occasion, and it always has been in our family. And speaking from personal experience, I can't imagine celebrating eat on different days with my family, right? Um I've thought sometimes I've thought about it if we're doing the because being terse before the calculation, and so I'm 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 not that staunch in my views. I'm not that confident actually in that method. If you you could say, um, but we all stick to we all stay to the same method so we can all celebrate on on the same day. And so the survey asked people to rate the impact of celebrating Eid on different days on their family relationships on a scale of one to ten. One being the largest impact, ten being uh, the oh sorry the one what being no impact, yeah. ten being the highest impact. Yeah, I had the wrong way around. And interestingly enough, the 1,576 respondents to the question about level of impact on families, a large portion, 346 of them, reported no impact, while only 188 read, rated the impact as number 10, the highest disruption to the families, right? And a substantial number reported moderate impacts. So what do we make of these numbers? Am I, is it not as big a problem to families as I think it is, or is there something else going on here? Would you like to... Yeah, um... From my personal experience and from friends who I know that have that issue within their family, there has been no impact at all. There was initially, and, and the question is the last three years, right? Last three years, I think if we were to make it historically, it would be a very different number. Um, I knew families that had big issues initially, 
Um, they would not go to each other's houses. They would not visit each other. They would have big issues. But over the past few years, they have come to an agreement. They have come to an understanding that, look, we're firm in our belief. You're firm in your belief. We accept your views. You accept our views. And they found a way to live with that and still keep those family ties. Um, so it's unsurprising that there is a large number of people or respondents that said we don't feel any impact at all. But that number, 188 out of the people that said yes, is still quite significant. That people have chosen 10. 10 is the extreme. Um, and then if you consider from about 6 to 10, that number would increase because 6 is still so, some so, certain issues. 7 is higher. 10 is that it's really destroying their families. Mm. Um, so there is still a high and significant number of people that it does affect. And really the point of this, the objective of this was to really understand how much impact the differences of starting on different days um, and the different authorities have on people at a, um, on a family level. Yeah, uh, Professor, 31% said yes, that they had celebrated Eid on different days with their family. Is that a surprising figure? I think you? that's a very significant uh, finding. And it's troubling, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. to be honest. Uh, as you said, uh, it is about uh, celebrating together, joyous. And it just means that 31% of the families in Australia, Muslim families, can't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, they are tolerating, uh, accepting of each other differences, but it just means that it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect the feeling of it and celebration and it, it, uh, I'm really troubled by this result, and, and I think uh, Muslim organizations should take note of this part more than anything else mm -hmm. in this report. And um, uh, that's why we also we asked, uh, like there was two questions. One was, did you celebrate on different days? And then to what extent it impacted on you, and to grade it from um, zero to ten, yep. ten being the most severe. Most disruptive. Uh, because we wanted to see that gradation, you know, the not not a yes or no answer, um, and uh, and what's really also worrying is that uh, around fifty percent of those who were affected or celebrated on different days had a negative uh, negativity in their family. Yes, the very severe ones were less, far less, but there was still negativity, and and I, I think that comes down to 15% of the entire Muslim population means they had a negative experience of Ramadan and Eid. Mm -hmm. That's 150,000 people. That's, right. I think that's uh, really something to worry about. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't want that. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's, it's bad for families. Yeah. Well, it's bad for Islam, you know. Yeah, It could also have a theological impact because if you're a parent and, you're, and you're, your kids are... Uh, 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 a fasting and it's eight. You think it's eight, and they're fasting, and they're they're, they're, make, they're doing haram. Then in your right. you see them doing haram, right? So because you're not supposed to fast yeah. on eight, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's a theological impact there as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I guess uh, we have to. We cannot have unity within the community unless we have unity in the families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or we will not have unity within families unless we have some unity in the community. Right. We're up to the last question in the survey. Um, what do you think should be the ultimate outcome to the issue of Muslims starting Ramadan and Eid on different days? So of the three response options given to this question, we have, there will come a time when Australian Muslims will start Ramadan and Eid on the same day, and this elicited a 43% response. The Australian Muslim community will not be able to unite, and these issues will remain uns unresolved for the foreseeable future. 
21.8%. And Australian Muslims will eventually accept that different interpretation, interpretations will always be there on this issue, 35.2%. So after all the previous questions and responses, uh, how do we interpret these? Do we look at the 43% saying we will sort this out someday and have a positive takeaway? Or do we look at the 21.8% who think it can never be achieved and have a feeling of pessimism for the future in this regard? Uh, who wants to take that on first? Professor? Maybe go first. I like the third one, <laughs> if you ask me. Um, I, I was happy to see that, you know, 30 odd percent yep. were in that area where we're coming to a time where we realize that these are different opinions. And I think that's where unity can be achieved. Although the optimistic bunch, 43% is quite large with people are still hopeful and they firmly believe that, you know, in the upcoming years, if not now, 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, there will come a time where all of Australia will unite and celebrate Eid on the same day, begin Ramadan on the, on the same day. How that's going to happen? Allahu alam, right? But it's good. It's always good to stay, you know, um, positive and optimistic. And I think one of the main reasons why there was that 20 odd percent, which is quite significant if you look at it in terms of how many people chose that answer, you know, over a thousand people that said, look, there's absolutely no hope and this is going to be an issue and we're going to keep fighting about it. It's all the really, it, so. Exactly. It's simply because of what's happened this year. And then you look at what happened last year, we thought, whoa, that's so bad. You know, this is worse than ever. And then what happened this year was worse than what happened last year. And, you know, who knows what's to come next year. Um, you know, in fact, just tomorrow we're going to be citing the moon for Dhul Hijjah. Um, so it's going to start again, right? People <laughs> often think that it's only in Ramadan and Eid, but again, it's happening in a couple of days. You know, when's Eid al-Adha? But, you know, what people fail to understand that it's an ongoing issue, not just Ramadan and Eid, it will also affect our, um, you know, days of Eid. Uh, and then for those that are citing the moon for all 12 months, it's, it's a separate issue there as well. But for people to say that, look, there's absolutely no hope, I think, of the events that have happened in the last two years has kind of put them in that um, in that thought that, look, there's absolutely no hope. But if we were to put that percentage and say, all right, you know, if they were to come to answer C, which was that, look, there will come a time where people would accept the differences and move on, that is where we're thinking, all right, it, it's very good. So the answers are kind of like, they're neither one way or the other where there's a significant group who says, look, we're optimistic. There is going to be a resolution to this. But then at the same time, there's a significant number of people who are saying there's no hope. And then you have people that are saying that it is an issue which can be, um, you know, we, can, we can't resolve it, but we can live with it. We can accept the differences. Mm -hmm. I'll, personally, I would have liked to seen that last one a bit higher in the 50s or possibly even 60s. But, um, you know, it's good to see that there is a large number of people that are positive and they feel um, that this issue can be resolved. And obviously, who's going to resolve it? It's going to be the, the, leaders, the leaders, right? The leaders of the communities. So really, it's... it's um, is it realistic to say, sorry, is it realistic to say that the, um, the third option, Australian Muslims will eventually accept that different interpretations will always be there on these issues and accept those? Is that the most realistic um, outcome, do you think, in the future, Professor? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of split in the, between the two. Uh, the f I think there's a big, big desire in the community uh, to for unity. You know, they want uh, unity on this matter. Um, I think it's it's not just which positive response. It's a it's a message to organisations and leaders in the community that we want unity. Fifty percent of the community. Uh, the the other two. Uh, options uh, 
there's a there's a growing majority, like thirty four percent or something, that uh, they are thinking, oh, okay, well, if this is a matter of ijtihad, and then there's freedom in ijtihad, and given the freedom, people will always choose different, uh, you know, yeah. methodologies. Uh, they will, they would, maybe there will always be a differences in this in this space. So we need to grow to be tolerant of that and accepting of that, and that's good. That's good uh, because if we can't have unity, you should at least be, mm. you know, tolerant okay. and uh, uh, and accepting. Uh, what's also problematic, I think, that twenty percent is mm. we don't want to dismiss that. Yeah. Uh, that that just uh, again means two hundred thousand people, Muslims in Australia, are really yeah. disillusioned by this, mm-hmm. and they they just see that uh, they cannot see a future on this on this matter. Uh, because it, the question, the option says we will never achieve unity, mm-hmm. you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's a very negative uh, outcome. Uh, but these are indications of what our community are thinking on this matter. I think this is what's really important uh, in this whole survey for the first time in Australia, and I think first time in the world. Right. Muslims have been asked in this way. Right. So this is this is what makes this research very significant, and hopefully. Uh, the first of uh, a number of similar research in the past. Excellent. Thanks for that. Um, so, well, that's all the um, that's the survey questions completed. Uh, I just had a, had a look through the um, the comments in the open ended uh, question as well, the co- non composite question, and I counted a ratio of two to one people. I thought in the in the in the comments, right? Mm. And not all the questions. I it wasn't provided with all the comments. Anyway. Yep. It was two thousand seven hundred something. Yeah, all of them. Um, but the ones I went through. It looked to me like there was a ratio of two to one people um, who were who were preferring unity on this matter. Okay, so and so that's that's positive, right? That sounds pretty positive. But if I get both your opinions on whether this is possible and even if it is, even if it is necessary, because there's many parts of our practice as Muslims where we don't unite on, right? I mean, even if we all started Ramadan on the same day in Australia and the region, there we wouldn't be having sahur at the same time. We wouldn't break an iftar at the same time. We wouldn't be getting up for fajr at the same time. We have difference of opinions in in jurisprudence, and yeah. we celebrate those differences. So, um, it is is it is it really that necessary that we unite on this? I mean, the, the comments in the section that I read through that they they're talking about unity, right? Um, but if I can just get a quick comment from you in, in wrapping up wrapping up as well, like we we tolerate all these other differences as you mentioned earlier on. Um, is it is it a problem if you just say yeah let's just all get along and we don't have to gain unity on this and we're not going to be up to anyhow? Well, I, I think that uh, it's possible to have unity on this. It's a matter of authority. In the past, how does it happen in various Muslim countries? Like the government announces the start of the Eid or start of Ramadan, doesn't? But, but as Sheikh said, they're like in Pakistan. There, there's no there's no differences of opinions on it. Everyone's following the same method. They're all saying, following the same um, uh, opinions. We're here in, in a melting pot of Australia. We've got cultures from all over the world bringing their own interpretations and their own baggage from their from their countries here. So I guess the problem is more highlighted here. But what I'm uh, I guess what I want to say is that uh, it's possible to address this. But once when Muslims really solve the issue of who represents Islam in Australia, ultimately who's the peak body, and the trust in that peak body, and and trust and confidence. You can have a peak body, but nobody follows, uh, but the trust isn't really important. 
So that due diligence expertise in that consultation involving the communities, organizations, bringing them, bringing them all together is, a, is not easy, but it's possible. Uh, I think for the benefit of the community, benefit of these families who are celebrating Eid on different days, I think it should, we should give it a go. Uh, but we don't know what will what future holds, whether this is possible or not. But if not possible, at least we need to grow, we need to think, be, to be tolerant of this. I think there will always be someone, some people following different methodology or not following the main, let's say, analysis. But, uh, but that might be the 10%, 20%. Yeah. Yeah. So if we can have this up to 80%, doing it on the same day, I think that would be a success. Yeah. Okay, Sheikh, would you like to comment on that? I absolutely agree with Dr. Mahmoud, exactly what he said, that, you know, it, unity is important. It is, you know, communal um, celebration, particularly when it comes to Eid, and you don't want families to be torn apart and arguing with one another. But if we, and, and I would say that, look, over the past few years, it's not like the scholars are quiet. There have been many instances where they've sat together, they've had meetings, and in fact, they've even agreed on something, but then literally days after the meeting when the announcement comes, it's completely contrary to what they decided. So the efforts have been there historically, and I believe there will be another effort this year. But based on the trend, I, I feel that the resolution part, it's not impossible, as Dr. Mahmoud said, it will be very difficult. It will be very difficult. If that can be achieved, then, you know, alhamdulillah, it's done and dusted. Mm. But if it can't be, then I think people need to be educated because the people are just growing up, hearing what they hear from their sheikhs, from their organizations that, nah, this is the truth, this is right, this is wrong. And of course, that's going to influence people. That's going to promote, you know, the debates and the arguments that take place. If we teach the people that, hey, look, this is, um, you know, opinion, this is an opinion, it doesn't matter what I believe is right or wrong. It, it's about ensuring that people aren't arguing about this. Once people get to that stage that they accept that, all right, these are two opinions. Even though if I reject one opinion, deep inside I have an opinion. And I know one opinion is right, I know one opinion is wrong, but I'm not going to go around telling that to people because what am I doing? I'm, I'm just encouraging them to fight. Yeah. I'm encouraging them. And that's exactly what's taking place over the past few years. Where people go to a sitting, uh, to a sitting they go to an imam, they go to a sheikh, they talk about it. And then they go and preach that to others. They tell the friends that, oh, no, look, this is 100% wrong. This is 100% right. You have to do this. It's like trying to, it's like a converting game. You've got to grab these people, convert them to this, convert them to that. Obviously, we'll keep doing that. We're going to keep fighting for the many, many years to come. And the fight's only going to get worse. Yeah. As evident from the last three years, three years ago, an incident happened. We thought, wow, this has never happened before. This is bad. Last year, another incident happened. Mm. We thought, okay, this is bad. And then this year, everyone agrees unanimously that nothing like this has happened before. And you know, people tend to forget what's happened over the past few years, mm. and they just focus on what's happened this year. And if we don't put a stop to it, don't educate people about the differences, it's only going to get worse. Yeah. And we don't want that to happen. Yeah. So ideally, unity is obviously you know the main goal. But if that can't be achieved, then we need to at least put an effort to educate people mm. um, about these differences and let them choose. And once once they know what's in front of them, look, there's about 15 different opinions, for example, right? There's 15. All right, these are all the evidences. I choose this one, khalas. At least, you know, there's another 14 others. Just let them be. Yeah, I think that education is really key. Uh, but I just want to maybe has a positive spin to that. Um, like differences are in a part of human being. Mm -hmm. Every religion, it, it, there's differences. 
but I think the Muslims have a better, you know, track record of finding unity, you know, in Islamic history. Like we have a this tool of ijtihad and consensus, you know, ijma, uh, that can really develop over time, uh, and it has. Muslims have produced majority opinions or consensus. Um, and uh, and I think we will get to some consensus point uh, in the future. I'm hopeful of that. Yeah. Uh, it just requires more expertise, more maturity in our debates, discussions. You know, putting the community first, the families first, rather than our egos or what organisations represent and things like that. Um, uh, once we do that, I'm sure we will have a solution. I mean, we have a mufti here. I think. Why don't we just all unite under the under the mufti? I mean. We have two, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> so which one? That's right. yeah, there's another. I think yeah. the uh, ANIC was established in 2007 or 2008, uh, and uh, it's a new organization, uh, and uh, it's still developing. Um, it, uh, it, one thing that uh, recommendation to ANIC is to have a more inclusive process in the announcement or in the working out, uh, and uh, if the if it's inclusive and uh, the transparency is important, like what methodology is being followed, and and how that's uh, how, why is that being followed, like justification and transparency in that would be really helpful rather than just a single you know statement. Um, and and I think uh, if we have a like a peak body that everybody thinks okay, the burden of establishing Ramadan and Eid is with this yep. body. Yeah. You just relieve yourself of that burden. Like, I think I think people ultimately uh, would want that. Uh, so, but you want you have to have full trust in that process and the institution and its capabilities. Okay, great. All right. So, just quickly looking at uh, the 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 demographics of of the respondents. If we look at the the gender question, sixty two point three six percent of respondents were male. And only 37.64% were female. Now, I know the report uses this as proof of the, of the issue affecting the whole community, but wouldn't a more critical look at this statistic ask why the disparity? Sheikh, could you comment on that, please? No, I, I wouldn't say it is a disparity at all. Um, if we look at the numbers, you've got 3,500 which were male and over 2,000 which were female. In terms of numbers, that's a significant number of female participants, over 2,000 that responded to the survey, especially given where we started and aiming for 1,000, we've got twice that amount just from females. Yes, obviously there is more than 60% of males, but I think this goes to show that the issue is not only um, you know, relevant, or, or the issue of starting Ramadan or celebrating Eid is not only relevant to the man in the household, because Islamically, when we look at it, if a man follows a, uh, a particular madhab or even an ideology or a methodology, Generally, his children, his family, his yep. wife, they follow it. His daughters, um, or parents even sometimes. Um, and, and this issue of moonsighting is no different. But to see that over 2,000 women responded to this, and not just responded, if we filter out the results, you'll see there was a significant number, even from this 2,000, that commented. that They commented on um, the last question, and they gave their own um, views on what the possible solution can be. Um, and obviously that goes to show that this is an issue which not only affects men, it, it's an issue which is affecting women as well. And especially um, the ladies that are involved in Talab al-Ilm and seeking knowledge, um, whether it's through 
private institutes and madaris or university level, they know that this is an issue and, and they took part of it. So I see that 30-odd percent of females or over 2,000 respondents are a pretty good number. And Professor, would you say that that 37 percent of female respondents, would you say that's a growing number? If we like, if we took the report, the survey 10 years ago, it would be much less than that. So it's it's uh, an increasing number. Would you well, make that as... We don't that, know. We can only speculate on yeah. that. But 37 percent of female participation is very high. I agree with uh, Sheikh Ikram on that. Uh, so it's, I think we could, general, it's a very good participation from both genders. So it's possible to generalize the results to entire like gender base. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Uh, so the age of the um, respondents, of the five, five age group categories, almost 40% came from the 36 to 45 age group. And if we include the 26 to 35 age group, which received the next greatest response, it means that ages 26 to 45 made up almost 70% of respondents. So the above 45s is quite low, and, and the below 26 are the Gen, Z, yeah. Gen Zers, I guess, um, weren't that responsive either. They're probably too, too busy. Too busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would, would you like to, any, anything to derive from that? That's good, and that's kind of expected as well, because that's the age group that have maybe families or they are in some sort of a position where they have to make decisions on this regard. Uh, so, so that was good to see that it was it came from those two main segments. Yep. Shay, anything to add to that? Uh, what was surprising though was that the age group of fifty-six plus and the age group of eighteen to twenty-six or twenty-five was very similar, hmm. um, which in itself goes to show that it's it's an issue which not only affects the different ages from twenty-six to forty-five, but people from that age group, ten percent um, of people that answered that question, you're looking at a significant number in hundreds. They actually took the time out and they responded mm. to that. I see myself, you know, may Allah forbid, but after 55, 56, I don't know if I'll be even able to use the phone the way we're going. But, you know, it's just 56. They could be in the 60s and 70s. And yet they put an effort to try and answer the questions in the survey, which shows that it's not an issue which just affects the youth. It's an issue which is affecting people that are old as well. Mm. What was surprising, you know, the 18 to 25 category, there wasn't much. In mm. fact, the least from that where you'd think that the youngsters growing up, they, you know, or, or even those that are studying knowledge, they, they would have an idea of, um, you know, what the, what the issue is and would have probably like to see a larger number. But overall, as Dr. Mohammed said, 26 to 45 is probably the main age where, you know, people- They're the main decision, main decision makers um, in the household. Yeah. So it's it's pretty understandable. Okay, good. All right, and um, so the question of in which state do you live? Um, this is one of the more tilted results, and but it's no surprise. It, I guess that most of them, sixty percent, almost sixty percent of respondents came from New South Wales. Um, I'm not sure there's too much that can that can be read into other than it's just reflective of the fact that most Muslims in Australia live in New South Wales, and large organisations are here. Is there any more that we can read into this other than that? Well, we had participants from everywhere, all all states in Australia. But still, sixty percent, uh, almost sixty percent from New South yeah. Wales. That's not that's a decent majority. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So I guess it it's ties it ties in with the the spread of uh, community yeah, and, right, yeah. And, yeah. and also how it spread and the, the, the survey itself. Yeah. Yeah. But we had, you know, people from like Canberra, Northern Territory and, and all of that. Uh, it was it was great to see that the entire Australian population took part in that. All right. In fact I think the first from what I recall, the first answer, the first response to the survey when he went live was from Northern Territory. 
That was it. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, because um, it spread. And then one, uh, there's one brother, he called and he said, I've done it. And he was the first one. And then um, from the Excel document, um, uh, from what I recall, it was from Northern Territory. But yeah. Yeah, interesting. Good to know. Yeah, yeah interestingly, before, because um, I actually got the, the WhatsApp message to spread the survey around. And before I could pass it on to my family, my, my brother actually was the first one to put on the family WhatsApp. <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. I knew the survey was coming, but he got it from through his local mosque or something like that. Into right. family, family, family WhatsApp actually. So it was it did spread quite well. It got the message got around quite yeah. quite well. I think using WhatsApp or social media was the main mechanism, the main and, mechanism. Uh, and it 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 caused a very speedy spread. Mm. Uh, but also, it's, it becomes very hard to control. Uh, obviously, uh, that's why I think overall, when we look at the demographics of the participants. I'm quite happy with the results. Like we got very good participation from everywhere. Uh, its results are a little bit obviously skewed towards subcontinent and Asian community, and that easily you can work that out uh, in in analysis of the results. Okay, so I'll take that as your closing comments. Unless you want to ask, add any more to it, uh, Sheikh, have you got anything to, to? No, I'll just I'll just add on what Dr. Mehmed just said last that. Um, you know, if we look at the Turkish community, and we discussed this in our last meeting as well, that there was a significantly not low number, but that is also understandable. If you look historically what the Turkish community has been following in Australia, they've had one ideology, one belief, and they've been following that. The issue of moon sighting, in fact, the word moon sighting or the issues around it is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not really not, yeah, it's non-existent. Like, there we are, what issues around moon sighting? We just follow Turkey or we follow the Turkish mosque or Diana, that's it. So it's not really an issue for them. Then why do they feel the need to actually answer all these questions? In fact, half of them probably won't even be relevant um, because they've been following a set methodology for years. But for people from other communities, um, especially the subcontinent, where they're conflicting year after year, someone's saying, even in the comments, I haven't gone through all 2,700 comments, but from what I've seen, they're jumping from one method to another. Mm. And one of the comments was pretty lengthy and he exactly told us when he first came to Australia, he was following this and then he changed that. He's changed about three, four times. Oh, right. So it goes to show that it is um, conflicting um, within certain communities and in certain communities, it's not. It's very, it's very straightforward. It's not an issue. Um, and that's probably why the reason we see that there are some communities which have far less responses than others. But the community comments will be analysed in detail. Yes, them. absolutely. That's part of the, part of the greater case. thesis. Yeah. We just wanted to put out this quick report uh, so that you know that we don't wait a year or so for the results, uh, and it's so that the community, all participants, could be informed about the results. I just want to say that just to sure. close off. It was really fresh thing that uh, that was done in this report to ask the community as to what they're practicing in a very important pillar of Islam, you know, fasting and the Eids around it. Um, we need to continue doing that. We need to feed, get feedback from the community or see what what is the impact of our decisions of the uh, main organizations in this country. I think for that reason, this is a significant report and a research. Um, but also, I'm really troubled by how much families are impacted by these differences of opinions. I really wish that at least that part is minimized. Like even if we cannot agree on different methodology or authority in Australia, 
if we can somehow minimize the impact on families so that they have a nice Eid or celebration and Ramadan together. Yeah, inshallah, more to come. Um, more reports to come and more gates to come, inshallah. Sure. All right, um, that's it. We've come to the end of the podcast. I'd like to thank Sheikh Ikramul Ahmed for all his valuable work in this area and for his time today. Oh, yeah. I'd also like to thank uh, Associate Professor Mehmet Ozal for his insight here today. Jazakallah khair. The report is available on isra.org.au for those who want to look further into it. But that's all for now. Thank you all for your viewing. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.